Okay. So I just want to greet everybody with love and appreciation. And we're going to do a few things. My focus is how do we regenerate our brain? Let's state the problem first. Generally speaking, from the age of around 25 to 30, we have a 1% loss of brain volume per year if we're not doing the right things. Um, and by this time someone was 80, it's up to a 25% loss of brain volume. Now that affects obviously every aspect of your brain function. So next question I want to say is that I became interested in this, and you'll see slides in just a minute, um, because in the 60s, I was seeing a lot of people doing drugs. And as a physician, I really had to like, what can we do here? And then in the uh, mid to late 90s, I actually had to work on my own brain because I had a... Uh, a, a congenital defect called AV anastomosis, where the artery and vein didn't have capillaries in between. Usually they break in your 30s, and for me, it broke in my late 50s because of my good health and so forth. But literally, my brain filled up with blood. They were pressing on my brain in certain areas, and I just happened to be staying with my daughter in New York after giving some talks on Long Island in upstate New York. And I went to Columbia, because that's where I went to medical school. And after the whole workup, they're looking at me very strange. Like, I said, what are you looking at me that way? He said, you shouldn't be walking around. I mean, how are you walking around? And it tells you a few things about uh, your state of mind affects it. Basically, they said, you have so much blood in your brain and so much is like, I can't imagine even standing. So that being said, uh, they also made it clear that it wasn't time to get an operation. There was too much blood and so forth. So I waited and I went back to Arizona where I was living and found a very top brain surgeon. It was actually better than I could find in Columbia, literally. Um, the mortality rate for this situation is about 8 to 10%. And this guy in uh, Phoenix had 0%. So like that's a good bet, right? So I had a particular interest in regenerating brain, obviously. And it took about two years. And I will just say, when I first finished the operation, they sucked out all the clot and all that, and they repaired the AV malformation. It's called AV malformation. I couldn't even recognize the keys on a computer. But doing a variety of things, because we have to understand when I say nutrition for the brain, I'm talking about a variety of things. I really actually got to a state actually better than before. And I, I don't have to go into the details. We'll be talking about some of those details now. So I have a, obviously a personal interest and understand. Now, the first thing we have to understand about this is up until the 1960s, they actually believed that the brain can't be repaired. 
they actually believed it couldn't be regenerated. It's kind of a good thing I didn't read that. <laughs> um, but around the 1960s, uh, they actually uh, found research began to confirm that you could regenerate the brain. So that's the, the good news. So I want to get away from the concept that you can't regenerate the brain because uh, we're talking about brain regeneration and a variety of approaches. Now, the very first thing we're going to do is dance a little bit. Now, I dance because the spirits are joy, but the truth is dancing integrates a whole lot of brain functions, coordination, memory, rhythm, sound memory, lots of things that happen. So I'm going to invite you all to dance with me for three minutes. Then we're going to meditate. Now, it turns out that meditation actually grows the brain as well. And particularly in what we call the hippocampal areas, and I'll show you pictures of that, and and the uh, frontal lobes and the temporal lobes, and really the whole brain. So we're going to dance, which grows the brain, and then we're going to meditate, which also grows the brain. So I'm giving you an idea of why we're doing it. But we're also dancing for spiritual joy. Now, if you don't have a way of meditating, I'm going to share that with you because that is part of learning how to grow your brain. Okay? So in 1995, this uh, name of God came to me. And again, you don't have to use it. Or if you know how to meditate, just do it. But it's Yoda on the in-breath, hey on the out-breath. Wah on the in-breath, hey on the out-breath. That's pronunciation. Yod from the base up to the heart. Hey out to the heart. Wah from the base to the third eye. And then again, hey out to the heart, merging the heart and mind. And we're, so we're going to do that. And then we'll do the other brain-building exercise, which is meditate. And we'll meditate for about four minutes. And you will have had exposure now to two really, really, really important things. So the answer is integration, but it's also exercise. And the research does show that exercise, particularly aerobic exercise, is excellent for regrowing your brain as well as reintegrating. Dance kind of brings it all together. So that's why dance is important. So... I invite you all to join with me as we dance for three minutes and get that spiritual joy going. Here we go. Just one second. Let's see. Uh, almost, almost. We got to tighten this down. Take my shirt off. Okay. Let us know when you're ready, Dr. Cousins. I will let you know as soon as I get this. Okay, we're ready. Go. Anyone to get a picture of me dancing?
Now we go into meditation for about four minutes and let your brain grow. Just focus on the energy coming through my eyes. Now, in the meditation, yield an in-breath, hey, in the out-breath, wide in-breath, hey, in the out-breath, merging the heart and the mind.
slowly come out of meditation and we're going into uh, the next phase of the talk but I want you to be aware you just did integration of a variety of brain functions as well as aerobics and aerobic exercise is one of the is really the top physical exercise for rebuilding your brain. So we're going to get back to the slideshow and just uh, hopefully soon, if we can. I'm not sure just how that's going to work, but uh, if you can put the slideshow on, that's good. So I've already had a introduction. Of it. Let me see if I can get this a little bigger. There we go. Okay. And then the next slide, please. Next slide, please. So uh, I've written a lot of books. My latest book is Into the Nothing. And you've heard about the cure of diabetes. Also, conscious parenting. It's really important. Parenting today is so important. As well as spiritual nutrition and the rainbow diet. Next slide, please. And this is kind of the, the crux of it. And it's not exactly a new idea. Herophilus, the Greek physician in 335 BC, said it simple. When health is absent, this is what we're talking about, wisdom can't reveal itself, meaning the brain's not going to work very well. Art can't manifest, right brain not working. Strength can't fight. Wealth becomes useless, and intelligence cannot be applied. Next slide, please. Okay. That's the Tree of Life Foundation, through which I do a lot of my work. We have programs in many countries on many continents. Um, perhaps our biggest program right now is in Africa, where in, in one country alone, Cameroon, we have over 50 organic, veganic gardens that are feeding people. So we're pretty happy about that. Next slide, please. Okay, so as it says, 17 different projects in 11 different countries, stuff in South America, Brazil and Argentina and uh, Nicaragua and so forth. Next slide, please. Okay, so this is current. This is me current, okay? 80 years old, 80 years young. And the key concept here that really three things. So at any age, we can get younger. We can get stronger. Today, I did my 1,800 push-ups and about 900 sit-ups. And there's a variety of ex other exercises we do. At any age, we can get stronger, more flexible. When I was 20, I couldn't even get my hands to my knees, okay? It was that far. Now I can put my palms on the ground and obviously sitting in full lotus here. So this is our potential and the same thing with the brain. So you heard me mention that by 80, people can lose up to 25% of their brain volume, but it's just the other way. If you do aerobic exercises and you meditate and you eat well, 
you can reverse the process and grow and fast. I want to mention fasting and grow your brain. Literally. Now, you may think fasting, how does that grow the brain? What happens when you fast is you activate certain hormones that actually grow uh, the neurons, but also grow new, new neurons like brain BNDF, brain neuro, brain derived neurotropic factor, and also neuron growth factor, and also NRF2, which is an antioxidant that stimulates particularly brain growth and cuts down on brain inflammation. Now, you actually can expand, literally grow your brain. And you'll see a slide about that too. But Harvard uh, did research about people meditating just 20 minutes a day, and they literally increased their brain size, particularly in the area called the hippocampal area, which is for memory and clarity of mind, as well as prefrontal lobes, as well as parietal lobes, as well as temporal lobes. So you can literally grow. So I'm pushing that concept because we've been taught, I was taught in medical school, you, you can't repair brain tissue. Yes, you can. And I give my own uh, experience for that as well. So that's the good news, okay? Stronger, more flexible, more alive with age if you have the intention, if you buy the assumption that we get weaker and more feeble with age and uh, less balance and, you know, less integrated and lose our memory. Well, that also happens. Joe Furman, um, <clears throat> a well-known doctor nutritionist, mentions that he sees a lot of uh, people come to his office who are vegan, who are uh, with Alzheimer's or cognitive decline. Okay, um, and I'm saying we can reverse or prevent all that. And we'll be discussing the reasons that happens, uh, perhaps a little bit more easily with vegans if, if they're not following the protocols I'm talking about. So think about that. Now, I'm just going to compare myself to at 20. At 20, as captain of an undefeated Amherst College football team and inducted to the National Football Hall of Fame, I could do 70 push-ups. Now I'm talking 1,800 push-ups at 80? Like today? It's like, what's going on? The fact is, we can get stronger with age. It's just, the age gives us time to get stronger. You can think about it that way. Now, how do we know somebody's brain isn't working so well? There really are symptoms, okay? People feel chronic stress. They have brain fog. They can't quite clarify their thoughts. You see this all the time. I'll be tell you also that we know with uh, COVID, that's one of the top symptoms. 40, 50% of the people have that. And there's brain inflammation, brain shrinkage. Okay, we have anxiety. We have depression. People get addicted. And there's a reason because they're not producing the dopamine that they need. The memory begins to fail. The clarity of mind begins to fail. Lack of vitality. And I'm going to say lack of optimism. That's actually really important. 
See, if you're not really feeling good and you're feeling depressed, you're feeling anxious, there's a lack of optimism that can begin to arise in that story. And that's something to, uh, to see this going on. Okay? And I'm going to also say lack of ability to handle stress. Now, this is all about the breakdown of the brain function. Now, the good news, I've already told you good news, you can repair the brain. You can regrow the brain. And the brain has a thing called neuroplasticity, where it can reshape itself back into its higher frequency, okay? And can grow in the brain, uh, the memory centers. Um, so next slide, please. So Thomas Edison kind of hit it right. He said, the chief function of the body is to carry the brain around. Okay, he's right. From the point of view of today, we're talking about that. So now the question is, you got to have a working body. But my point goes, you know, uh, deeper. We're not victims anymore of brain degeneration. We can choose not to pee. That's the important thing that I want you to hear. We have some choices here. And that's why it's okay to say brain healing, whereas before 1960s, impossible. But that impossible stays with us through a lot of our teachings. I say at Columbia in the 60s, uh, early 60s, you know, we were taught you can't really heal the brain, okay? But the brain can heal, brain can gain, gain in size, okay? The brain is not a machine. It's a living tissue, a living organism. Um, so it's important to see the brain mind. And obviously your attitude is important. Okay, we, we don't, this is the, the concept of you know, psychosomatic medicine, only I'm gonna turn it around for today and talk about somo-psychic medicine instead of psychic somatic medicine. Because we are focusing more on the physical brain um, and a comprehensive lifestyle that does it. So we've talked about meditation, we've talked about exercise. Um, those are two, obviously we're good. We're not obviously, but we're gonna get into nutrition as well um, as a main thing, eating in the best to, to prepare the brain. Now, what we do see, you know, people aren't taking care of themselves is there's a progressive fragility and a cognitive dysfunction that happens. And, and uh, we, we, in this decreased sense of well-being, those are kind of signs that we're really not working on all eight cylinders of the brain, so to speak. Now, one of the things that happens is we begin to decrease uh, our production of dopamine. What's dopamine do? It creates the neuro. It's a it's a neurotransmitter, but it helps support overall joy sense of well-being. Um, it also, let's say, increases the mitochondrial function. Now, mitochondria are the energy factories. In a healthy brain, neurons have uh, 
three to 5,000 mitochondria. In an unhealthy brain, it's down to maybe three, literally as low as 300 mitochondria. So your energy factories have decreased. So we can build those. Same with the heart. You can build these uh, mitochondria in the heart as well. And the dopamine helps that. Okay. Um, so when we store kind of the dopamine levels, we get healthy neurotransmitter ranges. Now, people tend to make substitutions, which makes it a little worse. You know, people go to sugar. It does stimulate dopamine, but in the end, it depletes the dopamine because it's a, not a natural way of doing it. Recreational drugs. I call them recreational drugs. So as you'll see in a moment, it wrecks the brain. They wreck the brain. Alcohol, tobacco, gambling, sex, they all increase the dopamine, but temporarily. Okay. Um, and the research on pornography suggests that it creates a stimulation, but it's a fake stimulation. And in the end, there's a brain shrinkage. Okay. So one of the key things, and again, I don't want to get too technical here, but I want to just make a broad stroke understanding, is that we make a MAO beta uh, oxidase enzyme. And it balances so we don't have excess dopamine. The trouble is with age, there's a tendency, there's a tendency to... I I just saw a comment, you know, does that mean we shouldn't have sex? No, it actually doesn't mean that. Pornography is a little different than having healthy sex, okay? Um, but you can have sexual excess that will deplete the body. And that goes for women as well as men. Men are more affected by sexual excess, um, but... No, the research actually shows, just to make the point, this is what I'm going to talk about, but since the question came up, it shows that couples who have, uh, the research was done on men, and men who have sexual intercourse three times a week actually get healthier. So um, they, that was what the research actually shows. They get healthier, happier, and they depress, you know, the general mood is better. And they live longer. Now, that was the key thing. They live longer. Now, that doesn't fit with the yogic view of point. But this research was done around the world, in the U.S., in Europe. And so my answer is moderation. But they actually show uh, sexual intercourse three times a week for men seems to, uh, well, no, creates longevity. So I hope that answers your question. It kind of made me laugh, but don't worry. It doesn't say you shouldn't have sex. Pornography is a little different, a little different. We are meant to have these things. The, the question is in balance is what we're meant to have. Um, so the when the dopamine decreases, the brain signally kind of decreases too. And then you get the cognitive decline, okay? Um, so we have to block the MAO beta inhibitors. And there's a thing called wild green oat extract that does help do that. Now, I'm not going to give you every single antidote to everything, but I'm making a point 
that these things do work. There's a drug called Depernel, which is mostly used for Parkinson's. It also acts in that way, but isn't it better to get the wild green oat extract? Uh, and it's more obviously natural. And it, it will decrease the MAO uh, a beta a blocker by, by up to 50%, um, which is, of course, good. Uh, and the doses are about 1,200 to 2,500 of that. Now, I'm giving you kind of a, a little bit of a, a view, okay? Now, I'm going to do the next slide, if we could, please. So this is really important to understand. Now, this is actually normal brain tissue, and all those little stringy things are neurons. Next slide. This is post-acid trip. Now, I want to be clear. I, I helped a lot of people, and that's how I got a little interested in this, repair their biologically altered brain, and you can see, wow, hey, where are the neurons? Where are the synapses? So I have kind of a lot, a lot of direct experience in repairing the biologically altered brain that we did what we do with drugs and so forth. So I'm just going to go through a little bit of that to see the, the overview of the picture. Next slide, please. So this is a healthy brain, and this is a, a particular technique for mapping the brain with blood circulation and, and so forth. Next slide. So get well, go back one slide again, just for a second. So notice uh, where I said it says healthy brain. That's the underside, and this is the top of the brain. Full healthy activity. Next slide, please. Now, most people think marijuana may be okay, but it really isn't. Uh, there are a variety of problems with marijuana. Uh, but one, as you can see, here's an 18-year-old, three-year history, four times a, a week of, of, of marijuana. Look at the brain. It's got holes in it. It's not a holy brain, okay? It's got holes in it. And certainly in the 60s, the use of marijuana was pretty, pretty strong. So it's like I'm seeing people being really damaged with, with, with this. Um, and I will also mention which is on the far side of things, that with marijuana, as well as ayahuasca, there's a tendency for people to be invaded by entities. We also are with the alcohol. That's why they call bar, you know, spirits. These things really happen. It's work I actually do uh, with people all over the world. How do we undo this? Because it's, it's a very unfortunate. Next slide, please. 16-year-old, two-year history. Look at the brain. Look at that. And then you see prefrontal temporal lobe activity damage. Next slide, please. And this is a 38-year-old, 12-year daily use. Next slide, please. And 28-year-old, 10 years, weekly, weekend use. Oh, I'm just taking on the weekends. Well, that's a problem. I'm not trying to do an anti-marijuana talk. I'm just wanting to be aware of it, that it isn't harmless. Next slide, please. Now, when I was in New York at Columbia Medical School, there was a debate about, well, we should give people methadone. 
I lived about a block from Harlem Hospital near Big World Small, not too far from the Apollo Theater. And it was like, wait, methadone, it's got the same problem as heroin does. It just, you don't get high from methadone. How does that help? So here's a person, 39 years old, 25-year history of heroin, and obviously methadone. Look at the brain degeneration. Next slide. Uh, next slide, please. And now we have cocaine. People get addicted to cocaine. They can almost do it in one day. So here's a 52-year-old, 28-year history of meth and cocaine, and the brain is damaged. And it's one of the harder ones to undo. Next slide, please. This is eight years of meth. Again, this is uh, harder to undo, but it is undoable. And you can regrow the brain, which is the important thing. Next slide, please. Here's more holes in the brain, two-year history. Doesn't take long. Next slide, please. Now, this is alcohol. Remember, I mentioned spirits, too. And there's a lot of that spirit possession. That's not the topic of this, but it does happen. When the brain isn't working right, your whole field of protection is thrown off. And here's a person with 22 years of daily use and history of brain injury. It looks pretty bad, that alcohol stuff. Next slide, please. 44-year-old, 18 years of daily use. Now, there is some research out there. So we, we, I just want to make the distinction. If somebody has a glass of wine a few times a week, we're not looking at real brain damage. This is 18 years of daily use of alcohol. And it really, really rots the brain. Next slide. 45-year-old, 25-year history. Okay, next slide. Now, here's my point. Hope for healing. So here's somebody with substance abuse. Again, I saw a lot of it in the 60s. I mean, it's still going on. Don't misunderstand me. But I did see a lot of it in the 60s. And next slide, please. This is a year drug and alcohol-free. You see the brain repairs itself. Now, I'm going to be sharing, besides meditation and exercise and prayer, uh, nutritional ways, ways to eat that support brain healing. But I can't ignore that this is part of it. It's your total diet. So it can be done. So that's really the main thing. It can be done. Next slide. I, I would, here's the underside of, of, of a, a person who's brain with drug abuse. Next slide, please. And this is a year. It, it's good. It generally speaking takes one to two years to rebuild the brain, you know, with my overall program. Next slide, please. Now, I kind of got onto this um, when I was working in a training at Alcohol uh, Rehab Center, and I saw that the uh, people who, who, who just stopped alcohol, 
still had anxiety, insomnia, shakiness, dizziness, depression, and poor memory. And that's a Swedish study. But the, there's a, a group in, in uh, Minneapolis where they added nutrition. This is where I kind of got the idea, to be honest with you. And they had dramatically improved people. So, the, you know, instead of 100% anxiety, it was 11%. Insomnia went down to 6%. Shaky, tremors, 2%. Dizziness, and, uh, you know, 4%. Depression, 5%. Poor memory, 11%. We're talking a little bit more about memory, but all of these are symptoms. That's why it's important to understand. They're symptoms of a degenerating brain. Anxiety, insomnia, shakiness, dizziness, depression, poor memory, uh, they're all symptoms. So what we see is with proper nutrition, and this isn't even proper nutrition, this is just four different nutrients that they use, um, which is terrific at that time. I'm talking again in the 60s. That was a big deal. And uh, so it makes a difference. Now, to me, this is one of the first real, really good research uh, papers that were done. Next slide, please. So what I'm saying is just withdrawing from alcohol does not solve the problem. You got to build up the system. So this will give you an idea how, how when we look at this, how to, how to think about it. Okay. So People have poor genetics. They have less neurotransmitters and receptor sites. That, that's a congenital, what you're born with. Then we have toxic exposure. Lead, mercury, cadmium, you know, herbicides, insecticides. Now, I'll just point out that animal tissue has about 96% of the pesticides and herbicides and insecticides as compared to eating vegan, okay? And I often will use, you know, I'm not trying to advertise different things. So I'm just going to say, I'll use things to pull out the heavy metals that are oral rather than, you know, intravenous. And then what are the symptoms? Everything I just said about it. Depression, addictions, food, drugs, sex, gambling, violence. All of these stimulate dopamine so you feel better, but it only works for a little bit and then you run out. Because you're not, your normal system is suppressed. So that's the thing about, uh, I was explaining, like pornography, you're stimulating uh, the frontal lobes and, you know, and you're getting a false, let's say, increase, okay, in, in, in the dopamine. But it isn't real. So you're using it up and you deplete it. Normal sexual behavior, uh, I mentioned three times a week uh, for men, it was longevity and, and so forth. You're actually building it up because it's part of a total process. You, in other words, you're not substituting and creating a false high and, in essence, suppressing your normal ability to regenerate. That's the concept that is out there you know, in terms of understanding. And it makes a lot of sense. Um, so, okay. And now, poor in utero nutrition by the mother, but I'm going to say poor preconception nutrition by the mother and father. Um, 
situation emotional stress, poor adulthood nutrition, poor infant and child nutrition. All these contribute to anxiety, alcoholism. Again, alcohol, what's it do? Increases dopamine, but it's temporary. It doesn't solve the problem because eventually the system wears out and it's not a complete cycle. This will give you a feeling for what we have to do to rebuild the brain. It's a very holistic program. Next slide, please. Okay, so the poor genetic expression, we are talking about lower dopamine levels and receptors, lower serotonin levels and receptors. In other words, receptor sites on the tissue and lower endorphin levels. Those are your sense of well-being. Often we see family history of depression, alcoholism, ADHD, drug addiction, schizophrenia, and anxiety. And then poor prenatal nutrition and poor interuterine nutrition. And that's where we get the biologically altered brain, which is what we're talking about. So I'm doing kind of broad strokes about a lot of this. I will be focusing more on nutrition, but I can't just talk about nutrition when there's so much more else going on. Next slide, please. So this is just one more diagram. You know, uh, toxic heavy metal exposure, emotional stresses, and children early drug use. I mean, kids getting the drugs when they're eight years old. Uh, and we get biological altered brain in adulthood and then fully altered brain. And then you get the addictive brain because people are just doing whatever they can to get a hit because they don't feel good. Anxiety, Tourette's, obsessive compulsive disorders. Okay, I think you have a bigger picture now. Next slide, please. So this is the effect of prayer and meditation nutrition for the brain. Now you see below it says hippocampal. That's the area you want to really grow. And it has amygdala. That's kind of emotional control. And when people meditate, these other areas grow. The frontal lobes, anterior cingulate is like the heart compassion area. The parietal lobes have to do with kind of a more mystical experience. And when the Harvard study shows that, that many of these areas grow, but the amygdala, which is aberrant emotions, anger and so forth like that, that are um, more than should be, they actually shrink. Next slide, please. That's exciting. So frontal lobe with, with prayer, focused attention, uh, it protects against age-related deterioration that we see with dementia, just what we're talking about. This area will shrink, may shrink with age, and I'm saying it, we can grow it with age too, okay? So we don't have to have mental loss and decreased mental functioning. The anterior cingulate area is with compassion. The neurological heart, the parietal lobes have a sense of uh, separation and more religious experience in the limbic system gets deactivated by prayer. So you're not so emotionally out of balance. Next slide, please. And this is the Harvard study. Literally, physically, meditation rebuilds the brain in eight weeks. That is so cool. I mean, you know, it's everything I've been talking about, but to see this study, it was like, oh, wow, they did it. Next slide, please. Now, 
a different, we're talking more about food now, but we're looking at what we call, you know, inflammation. And there's two areas that we're looking at, gluten uh, products, not just wheat, but different gluten grains and a high carbohydrate diet. So when Joe Furman talks about, well, he sees a lot of people with vegans with brain uh, you know, degeneration. Um, I look at the high carbohydrate diet, which I don't support because it stimulates brain inflammatory pathways. What am I saying? So next slide, please. Okay, the gluten sensitivity certainly can relate to schizophrenia. I just remember, it just kind of blew my mind in my psychiatry residency when they showed a movie of this person and she had one bite of wheat bread and she went totally crazy. Now, it was make a point, which is that's how sensitive we are. It, it, it's pretty mind-blowing to see that happen. The person normal, everything, she, she hit gluten, wow. So these things are very real. And I think we kind of think, oh, it's all in your head. Well, it is all in your head. It's also in your head physiologically. So these are things that we see, bipolar disorder, depression, autism, ADHD. Um, the, the supplements I'm going to talk about, as well as the diet, are going to address these things. Next slide, please. Now, to me, this is a really important study, the Journal of Alzheimer's 12, 12, 2012. I'm just going to read it because it's so important. Older people, and I, we're talking people above 60, eating a high-carbohydrate diet. Get the word high-carbohydrate because we're told a lot in the vegan world that you want a high-complex high carbohydrate diet. People are talking about 70% carbohydrate. Yeah, well, here's the result. Have nearly four times the risk of, of, of developing mild cognitive impairment, MCI, which are precursor Alzheimer's. So when we have a, a doctor, you know, like Joel Furman saying, oh, well, I'm seeing a lot of people who are vegan. That's because in the vegan world, there's a push of high carbohydrate, low fat, moderately low protein diet. Well. You can do higher by carbohydrate, but as long as you don't mind four times risk of developing MCI. And as Joel Furman points out, Alzheimer's. So what I'm telling you is for brain diet, we want, if you're eating fat, healthy fats, particularly if you're eating not animal fat, which are high in pesticides, herbicides, you know, 95, 96%, 42% less, less likely to experience cognitive impairment if we're eating healthy fats, which I'm calling plant fats, like avocados, like nuts and seeds, okay? So I'm saying that. But I want you to get really, really here because this is not the usual message people get. Um, Four times the risk of MCI or Alzheimer's eating a high complex carbohydrate diet. 
that should wake up a lot of people when we, particularly the vegans making these suggestions to eat a high complex carbohydrate diet. Just uh, for your information, when I'm treating diabetes, we have a 61% cure, cure rate of type two, meaning all blood sugars are normal. And that's in three weeks for a quote, incurable disease. 61%, when we put them on a 25, 35% complex carbohydrate, that's as much as they do. Uh, people who don't have diabetes, we're looking at 25 to 45% carbohydrate in the diet, not 70%, not giving you four times higher risk of, of MCI. And that begins to explain partly why Joe Furman has that observation. And I, I'm going to just tell you, I didn't see that in writing, but uh, the other day in, uh, when Brian Clement and I were being interviewed you know, for this seminar, that was the, a question that was asked. Well, how do you explain this with Joel Furman's observation? This is how you explain it. Next slide, please. So one of the big problems we have is when sugar goes up, neurotransmitters go down. So we see, and I see, that sugar, and I'm talking about glucose and fructose, please get the idea, fructose is up to 10 times more brain inflammatory as glucose, okay? So when the blood sugar increases, it depletes neurotransmitters of serotonin, epinephrine, norepinephrine, GABA, and dopamine. So I really pretty much teach a no sugar diet. Now, when I say no sugar, I'm not, I'm talking about no white sugar, no brown sugar, which is the same thing as white sugar. Um, and I'm talking uh, like Brian, not a whole lot of fruits. If you're going to do any fruit, um, which I don't recommend, particularly with my diabetes, healing diabetes, natural diet. I, you know, bilberries, blueberries, green apples are, are, are the lowest in the sugars. And I don't recommend that until people are healed of their diabetes. Next slide, please. So Robert Lustig put it nicely. Nature made sugar hard to get. Man and woman made it easier. Okay. And you see the skeleton, because that's what we're talking about. Next slide, please. Now, this is important. I mentioned fructose is not better. It is also associated with impaired glucose, uh, insulin resistance. And I want to point out, it's a very important concept. The brain can also become insulin resistant besides the body. And therefore, it can't get the glucose, which runs the brain. Fortunately, ketones um, we get make it work. And when we see fasting, we see people move from glucose to uh, ketone metabolism. The key ketone is beta-hydroxybutyrate, beta which gives you about eight times the amount of energy per calorie as does glucose. So it's, it's really the best, and that's what we've noted with the fasting. So... Um, even though fructose has no immediate effect on blood sugar and insulin, again, that's the point, it's likely to cause insulin resistance in the brain 
as well as the body and increased storage of calories as fat because the liver then starts to convert calories to fat rather than use it to, you know, for energy. Next slide. So I'm making the point as clear as I can based on my experience and how do we heal type two. We also heal type one. I don't want to get into that. Um, that's a different talk, uh, which I gave last year, okay? So what we're seeing is the people with the most amount of brain cell loss, which is what we're talking about, have a uh, an A1C, which is the amount of glucose that's uh, connected, that connects itself to to protein and also to the DNA structure in the, in the body. Uh, so their brain cell loss is almost double the higher A1C is. So it's just not a marker of blood sugar. It's a direct relationship between uh, the hemoglobin, A1C, and depression, but really brain shrinkage. Let's get the word, brain shrinkage. So if you're going to grow your brain, forget about having sugar in your diet. Next slide, please. Um, I will answer questions at the end. Uh, I couldn't resist the other one about sex, but I'll answer questions at the end so I can kind of get what in what I want to say. So this is what David Pullmotor in his book, Grain Brain. Uh, I thought he did really good work. A diet heavy in inflammatory carbohydrates, which mostly they are, low in healthy fats, messes with the mind in more ways than one, but let's say messes with the brain in more ways than one, affecting risk, not just for dementia, but for common neurological ailments, ADHD, anxiety. And, and really, if I'm going to treat ADHD, we have to go all organic. And that will knock out 50% of the, of the symptoms, you know, heal 50%. And then we go to no sugar, okay? Anxiety disorders, Tourette's, mental illness, migraines, and even autism. So uh, just kind of get the the picture. Uh, inflammatory carbohydrates, they do inflame the brain. Next slide, please. So fat is the preferred fuel of human metabolism, and it's been that way through evolution until we started farming about 10,000 years ago. Next slide, please. Now, this is really important because along with this high complex carbohydrate diet, we just have this cholesterol fear. And this is one of the second reasons I, I think that vegans tend to get more Alzheimer's because people with the highest cholesterol scored higher on cognitive tests than those with lower cholesterol levels. That's pretty straightforward. That's Boston University 2005. Australian uh, National University of Canberra, I've been there. People whose blood sugar is on high end of normal range have a greater risk for brain shrinkage. This is our type three diabetes, okay? That's what we're talking about, brain shrinkage. Next slide, please. So this is my, I'm really talking more about cholesterol here, but Netherlands, Alzheimer's have lower amounts of cholesterol, free fatty acids in the cerebral spinal fluid. That is really important. 
2007 study showed that people who regularly consumed omega-3, this is one of the supplements I'm going to talk about, they were 60% less likely to develop dementia than those who didn't regularly consume such oils. That's DHA and EPA. Those are your big players there. So keep that in mind. Uh, it's pretty essentially important here to get those in your diet. Next slide, please. So, the National Institute of Health. High cholesterol is associated with better memory function. And this is the point I'm making why people, you know, vegans will tend to higher, will have more memory function, dysfunction. Next slide. Now, I just want you to understand, I did a, put a bunch of references in because I, I didn't want anybody to say, oh, you're making it up. Next slide. I'm just going to the references because keep going. Keep going. You see, there's a lot of references that point what I'm talking about. Keep going. This is show and tell just to get the idea that this research is well documented that I'm talking about. Okay. Pretty good. You see, it's a lot, isn't it? Okay. Women who have a cholesterol of 270, okay, which thinks people think that's off the scale, had a 28% increase in longevity and cardio protection. 270, 28% increase in longevity. That's a pretty amazing statement. Next slide, please. And this is a study of, of uh, people between the ages of 20 and 74. And this is the 270, 28% lower mortality rate that women had a cholesterol of less than 193. So we're debunking the cholesterol thing. It's been pretty debunked. It's We're lagging a little bit in the vegan world. That's why Joe Furman's statement was so good. Not that I don't know exactly what he attributed to it, but this is what I'm attributing to it. Next slide, please. There's a meta-analysis. This is 340,000 people, 21 different studies. What did they find? No, no difference in risk of heart disease between people with the lowest and the highest intake of saturated fat. So this whole fat, high fat fear, HFF, has been leading us the wrong way. And it actually decreases our mental function. Besides, it doesn't make any difference in risk of heart disease. 21 studies, 340,000 people. That's a lot. That's a significant study. Next slide, please. And this is the best study. Archives of Internal Medicine, 2009. Okay. And what did they find? Next slide, please. Bottom line, no evidence to support the widespread, I'm going to call it mythical belief, uh, that limiting saturated fat intake is beneficial or protective for heart health or longevity. If you just get that, you're going to make your lives a lot better. Next slide, please. We need cholesterol. And this is something I learned in medical school, kind of unrelated, but basically people with low cholesterol tend to have a lot more depression. How about six times more suicide and double the amount of depression? So, if your cholesterol is less than 159, it's dangerous. 
especially to mental, emotional, and physical health. So that's why, as a psychiatrist, I'm looking at this from a whole different angle. It's like, wow, that's great. Go low cholesterol, and this is not so good. Next slide, please. So here's the problem with low cholesterol. Emotional imbalances, increased depression and suicide. I mentioned up to six times more suicide at the lowest levels, double if you're in the lowest 25%. Violent behavior, stroke, accidents, hormonal problems, memory loss, which is what we're talking about, and Parkinson's. Next slide. So a strong causative association with low cholesterol. And low cholesterol is associated with decreased serotonin, which is kind of anti-depression in the neurons. Next slide, please. Uh, so serum cholesterol concentrated more six times the risk of committing suicide. That's the point I'm making. Next slide, please. And if you're in the lower 25 percentile, suicide doubles. Well, if a psychiatrist, it's pretty important. So getting a, a cholesterol because we're not even worried about heart disease unless you're above 270, okay? And I'm going to put the lower level at 159. And my cholesterol is 159. And, and, you know, so I'll leave it at that. Um, <clears throat> suicide is double. Next slide, please. So it's increased suicide, accidents, and violence because the brain is made of different estimates at least 60% fat. So when somebody calls you a fat head, take it as a compliment. Okay, sorry, next slide. Now, along with other fats, I'm gonna go to the omega-3s, which are uh, very important. Uh, that's your DHA and EPA. And I kind of got into this in a different way. I, I, I saw a lot of women who were depressed postpartum. And I did research and it's like, oh, I get it. The baby's taking the DHA and the mother without appropriate DHA gets depressed. So I began supplementing with DHA and also with the EPA to keep it balanced. And within three to six weeks, those 90, really more than 90%, 90, at least 95% of the depressions were gone, postpartum depression. It also helps with depression in general, but postpartum depression, it's a DHA deficiency, almost for sure, unless you were previously depressed. So the omega-3, DHA, EPA, is associated with at least 96%, 96,000 premature deaths. And it adequate DHA decreases the risk of premature death up to 85% at optimal levels. The research isn't as, next slide, the research isn't as quite as clear as I would like it, but what I will say is uh, we want to try to get about 1,200 of DHA and 300 to 400 of EPA per day, roughly speaking. Okay, so why is that important? Because they're a big part of brain tissue, particularly the brain and the eyes. That's why the baby is taking all the DHA from the mom so it can develop its brain and get its eyes going. As I mentioned, it treats postpartum. EPA is particularly good for bipolar depression. It really does make a difference. As psychiatrists, I, I, I will always use that with bipolar. Since I really actually don't use psychiatric medications, I'm doing it with an orthomolecular approach. 
Okay, and it improves mood regulation. Next slide, please. So what are we saying? DHA EPA builds the healthy brain, helps your memory, cognition, helps with sleep, neuromuscular function. I mean, this is pretty important, okay? Releases GABA, which helps you relax and helps against depression, panic attacks. So it's really important. EPA, DHA. Next slide, please. And it's the preferred fuel for your heart. I mentioned the, um, so atrial fibrillation, high omega-3, 85% lower risk of dying from all causes. So we, we got to have a certain amount in there. Lowers blood pressure, improves the cardiovascular risk factor, meaning it decreases your cardiovascular risk. That's a winner. Next slide, please. Okay, a little side effects, protect your skin from cancer, helps decrease uh, prostate cancer, and in women, decreased rate of breast cancer by 50%. That is really good. That's the high omega-3 to omega-6 ratio. That's a winner. Next slide. Okay, and again, lots of references just to make the point because I understand that basically the, the theme has been low-fat, high-complex carbohydrates. So look at the references. Lots of evidence supporting what I'm talking about. Okay, just keep going through. I just want, again, the impression. Now, um, what I want to talk about a little bit, we have a few more minutes here, and so what are the foods that are really bad? We're talking about nutrition, we're talking about wheat, the gluten, because it creates inflammation. High carbohydrate diet, we also mentioned four times higher rate of, uh, you know, of uh, senility or MCI. Um, sugar, these are your big brain killers. Um, things like green tea actually help the brain because uh, catechins that are in the green tea um, stimulate neuron growth okay uh we're really not so good beer with nitrates fried foods microwave popcorn processed cheese uh, i'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this already have that figured out um uh so what i'm going to just summarize just a little bit here what we're talking about is that you know, what decreases brain function and size? We've got it. What increases it? You know, uh, one thing that happens is we start to get an overactive microglia, which are repair cells, migrating repair cells in the brain. And that also connects to low insulin sensitivity because we get insulin resistance in the brain. Uh, low oxygen, so I recommend pranayama, breathing exercises. That's pretty important, particularly if you go less than 20%. When you're wearing these masks, you do go less than 20%, unfortunately, and it is causing brain damage, but that's another, uh, that's an associated topic. Uh, excess inflammation and oxidization of the brain. So what are some kind of... Uh, Brain-growing foods, I mentioned blueberries, blackberries, apples, cinnamon, leafy greens. We'll go with that in a little detail. Avocado, it has certain substances that are really, really good for you. And 
and the coconut oil has MCT. Now, a lot of people say you shouldn't have just the, the extracted oil, but again, we are talking about efficient soils and deficient food. So it's not so easy, particularly with age, to build your brain. So we need a little support. So I'm talking in particular, when you get over 60, these are things you want to consider. So coconut is good. Uh, MC uh, mid, uh, you know, chain triglycerides really does play a role in getting your ketones uh, going. Um, obviously, lots of fruits and vegetables, but more on the vegetable part of it. Um, and there are certain herbs like ginkgo biloba. What does it do? It increases brain circulation. It increases the cell growth in the hippocampus. If you recall, the hippocampus is the area of memory and clarity of thought. Okay? So it's pretty important. Uh, and also creative brain function. I mentioned dancing, and I wasn't actually joking. We started with that, but it creates a neuronal uh, connectivity. Um, it connects us kinesthetically uh, and rationally and really uh, a muscle um, awareness. So there's a reason why I like to dance. I mean, I like to dance, okay? Um, but I'm giving you <laughs> a scientific reason why it's good to dance. Mushrooms actually play a really important role. So um, go raw or cook, but I'm gonna do cook because that's what mostly people do. And if you're doing two helpings of cooked mushrooms a week, your mild cognitive decline, MCI, okay, decreases by 50%. That's a significant statement. There are things in mushrooms that's not totally worked out, but there's a thing called ergothionone, and it's the one that seems to be most associated with uh, my MCI uh, in terms of helping create less MCI, dried mushrooms, and I think golden mushrooms are good, oyster mushrooms, shiitake mushrooms, and even white button mushrooms. So I'm giving you kind of a, a, a flavor for some of this. There certain oil, again, I know people have feelings about extracted oils, but it does appear that olive oil is very helpful. Um, and herbs, ro rosemary does stimulate brain function, as well as sage, which blocks acetylcholine esterase. ACH, acetylcholine, builds your memory. And acetylcholine esterase breaks down the acetylcholine. So sage helps improve that. And the other one is peppermint. Um, I, I, and then we're looking at uh, certain nuts uh, that are particularly uh, uh, good for this. Macadamia nuts, turns out, because they're very high oil, uh, is one of the, it's one of really the best. And pecans. So macadamia nuts and pecans seem to be the best for regrowing the brain and having high amounts of omega-3. 
then we have different herbs, you know, we have St. John's wort and uh, certain vitamins, you know, and minerals and zinc and potassium, melatonin also helps a lot with memory, it turns out. Iron and uh, particularly for uh, women and then magnesium. Um, other things that, that help also are cacao. Uh, it has uh, flavanols that, that actually literally increase the brain blood flow and increase synapses and help that way. Now, I'm going to go on just, I can't, I won't do it with every single one in terms of time, but I'd like to just talk about DHA in the brain. It's really important. First of all, I want to say I do not recommend DHA from fish or from krill because those tend to, uh, the waters are polluted. And uh, so there's a lot of pollution in those, okay? So I like the DHA and EPA from yellow algae, okay? The brand I use is Omega Zen. You can get it on my on the website, you know, uh, Dr. Pheasant Global. But basically, DHA, and I want to be, I'm going to go through a list of things because it's so interesting to understand. It helps, obviously, brain cell regeneration. That's what we've been talking about. It helps cross the blood-brain barrier. And it supports brain cell integrity. Um, it specifically has been shown to decrease age-related neuroinflammation. Remember, inflammation in the brain is a big problem. So we want to always keep decreasing it. And obviously, protects against brain shrinkage. And it creates healthy neuroglial cells because when they get all, with age, there's a tendency they get overactive and they, they create a lot of brain inflammation. DHA builds the myelin. And the myelin is the sheath around the nerves. And DHA is important for cell maintenance. Um, and it actually activates, we call this the epigenetic part of the story, okay, that protects tissues from, you know, brain deterioration, okay? People with low DHA have smaller brains. That's the point I've been making all along. We need those oils. We need those fats in the brain. They have poor visual memory and less clear thinking. So DHA is important. Again, uh, uh, it in essence creates younger brains and it helps with the fetal brain development. That's why the mothers get depleted because the baby takes it for its own. Okay. Um, breastfed infants, you know, with mothers that have high DHA, do better than DHA deficient. So I always recommend with young mothers, because I kind of see a whole holistic range. So I have a whole protocol for a healthy, uh, healthy pregnancy as well as delivery. But DHA is a big role in terms of uh, 
the baby's getting proper enough DHA. Um, the DHA improved tripled uh, the reading scores in kids. Um, so that's just kind of a, a little thing, you know, it lengthens the telomeres. Telomeres are related to aging. They get shorter with age. It activates four times more memory, uh, saving stem cells, which produce the, the, the neurons, okay? And uh, this, this is kind of like a, a, a whole uh, really important thing to understand that DHA is that important. Um, now, I mentioned about strong muscles and brain development. And I wasn't joking before about, you know, push-ups and things like that. But basically, they, they, they have actually found um, that physical exercise improves the brain health. Okay. Uh, physical strength showed improved memory scores. And they measure it with those hand squeezers. You know, that's how they measure how, how well you're doing. So cognition is affected by foods and, you know, the top foods I mentioned, but I'm going to mention, I'm going to keep mentioning them to the end of the talk. Blueberries, celery, macadamia nuts, which I already mentioned, pecans, yes, broccoli, cauliflower. They all make a difference in promoting what we call neurogenesis. What is that? The ability to adapt and grow new brain cells. Okay. Um, and the muscle strength is a key. You could measure it. It's they measure it with the hand grip. Okay. And what they found that this is for people both younger than 55 and older than 55. So it applies to everyone. And they measure it by your brain grip. Interesting, interesting way to do it. Um, and the best was also was aerobic exercise for at least 20 minutes, I think at least four times a week, 20 minutes. I do at least that almost every day, but on Shabbat. Um, and uh, I do the breathing exercises. We do the yoga because you need that stretching, but also the hard physical things, push-ups and setups and a variety of things like that. It increases the size exercise of your hippocampal areas. Uh, so it's like, that's pretty important. So I, I don't want to, you know, we want to talk about nutrition, but I want to talk about what else, okay? And the thing about macadamia nuts and pecans is that they're higher in fat, okay? Lower in protein and carbs. Um, uh, obviously, we're talking about broccoli, cauliflower, all that's important for growing. And, and that has a, a chemical called 13C, which is very important for DNA repair. And then, of course, um, the blueberries. Everybody mentions blueberries, and they're really important. Uh, uh, lots of antioxidant, antioxidants and anti-inflammatory. And celery, which is really high. And you know, most of your vitamins and proteins uh, and minerals, 
So it's a good one. Um, so we're looking at a variety of things, and I'm going to just go over what I call the, the top nutrients, but I just want to mention broad stroke. Cruciferous vegetables are very, very important for brain health, okay? And because the brain is always in self-repair, and these stimulate neural stem cells, which are your what come from which come neuron neuron cells and development, and um, that brings a lot of again regeneration, uh, which is of course the name of the game of it. Uh, I'm not going to go into technical things, but sulforaphane, which we get with cruciferous vegetables, again, is extremely important. That's why sprouts are, you know, really important broccoli sprouts. Um, and they have this anti-inflammatory effect. So, see, everything's kind of pretty clear. You know, we're looking at vegetables, cruciferous vegetables. I'm going to mention a, one supplement that doesn't get mentioned that often, that's lithium orotate. That is not lithium carbonate that people use for manic compression. It's lithium orotate, and the dose is like 5 to 20 milligrams a day, depending. It blocks beta amyloid tangles, which is part of what we observe in Alzheimer's and plaque, okay? And it protects the healthy brain cells and uh, inc literally increases the gray matter. It literally has been shown to reverse brain shrinkage. Lithium orotate, okay? Please get that straight, okay? Um, it enhances, enhances uh, DNA replication um, and increases up to 25% the uh, cell growth in the hippocampal area, where, where, which is where memory, clarity, cognition, discriminative thinking. Um, it in eight out of ten people increases gray matter. It promotes brain cell regeneration. Now, why do I say eight out of ten? Well, because we're all uniquely different. But eight out of ten is a pretty big statement. But I do want people to get that we are uniquely different. So each person has to kind of develop their own in the bigger picture of things. Okay, it protects against the heavy metals, mercury, aluminum, cadmium, arsenic. I use other things to pull that out too, but I'm saying this simple thing with him, okay? Um, it improves the sp spatial memory uh, and has certain things that stimulate brain growth in it. Um, it restores the fast-acting synapses uh, and helps repair damaged neurons. So this is just a little bit of, of things that we're talking about. Now, ginkgo, I mentioned before, there was a problem with the MAOB that blocks dopamine. Well, ginkgo inhibits uh, that MAO uh, uh, thing, and it also ginkgo stimulates brain mitochondria and brain circulation. Um, I don't want to give dosages too much, but I'm giving you kind of an idea of things. Other things that are good are herpesin A, 
which uh, comes from Chinese club moss, uh, and it helps develop acetylcholine, which is so important for memory. And then we have curcumin, which comes, uh, uh, you know, um, comes out of turmeric. And then acetylcarnitine that, again, combats cognitive decline. These are supplements, okay? Alpha-lipoic acid, and again, protects it. Picogenol does improve memory and attention. Bacoba is a favorite one. I'm not as hot about bacoba. Phosphatylserine is really, really important. Uh, and DMAE, and then herpersin A, which again, stimulates acetylcholine. Now, um, we're about ready to go into Q&A. And I'm going to just mention choline is in there as something important, and vitamin D. Low vitamin D is not good for you in general. But it is very much a good antidote for dementia and Alzheimer's. I like the blood D to be at least 80. They say you're not vitamin D deficient if it's like above 30, but that's not exactly. Um, okay, so I've kind of gone through a, a variety of, of things here um, to give people a range just with diet, also with supplements, things change uh, in terms of what's available in the soil. But uh, I want to mention one last thing, vitamin B12. It is really, really, really important for brain function. It's harder for vegans to get B12. I tend to like to get my B12 because it has to be human active. Your blood serum may show it's normal, but that's not necessarily human active. So the human active B12, which can be measured by MMA, not mixed martial arts. MMA is methylmalonic acid test. It's a urine test, easy to do. And we'll tell you if you have sufficient B12. And B12 helps with, again, brain degeneration uh, and brings clarity of mind um, and really slows brain atrophy. So those are kind of the overview. So in each generation, we're given the medicine we need for the world's repair and this holistic live food vegan. Again, I'm focusing on the live food. I'm focusing on the vegan but in a way that builds cholesterol and is not carbohydrate heavy. So this holistic life with vegans is the wave of the present and of the future. And now we have time for questions and answers. We have 20 minutes. Okay. Thank, you. Thank you very much, Dr. Cousins. That was a very comprehensive presentation. So we're now going to begin our live Q&A. Uh, um, I'll be asking some questions as well as opening it up to the audience. But before we begin, we'd like to make sure that everyone knows how to connect with you and to also find your books. And also some people were asking about um, getting this PowerPoint presentation. I don't know if you have that available on your website. Uh, I don't really put my PowerPoints up on the website, but the way people can make contact with me and get my books, everything, is at Dr. Cousins Global. Okay, and that comes out of New Hampshire. We're here in Israel, and they handle everything. 
and people can get most of the supplements I mentioned, not all of them. I'm working on some of them. Uh, but drcousins.com is an easy way. Second choice, treealife.mn.co is takes you to the website. Drcousins.com takes you to getting to the website. And also it can lead you to Dr. Cousins Global, where, uh, where the supplements are supplied by a whole other company. Thank you for sharing that, Doctor. Uh, we will now begin our Q&A session. We'll be asking questions uh, of the presenter. And if the audience has some questions, we'll open it up to, to them as well. We first want to explain to everyone how it works. We will not be taking questions directly from the chats. We will be taking them from the participant window in Zoom. So if you, um, would, if you don't know how to raise your hand, what you do is you go to the bottom of the of the Zoom window, second from the left, you'll see a reactions button. And when you click on that, you'll see the raise hand function. Click on that. And then we'll be answering questions in the order in which we receive. When I select you, I will unmute you and prompt you to state your name, where you're from, and ask your question. We ask that everyone keep their questions brief and on topic. We will then mute you. In order to give everyone a chance to get their questions in, we won't be taking follow-up questions. However, if you do wish to ask a follow-up question, you can raise your hand again once uh, once you've had your question answered. So we are gonna go ahead and begin with an audience question. Yar, please state your name, where you're from, and ask your question. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Ah, hello, Dr. Cousins. Thank you for, very much for your great presentation. Uh, I would like to refer, yeah, I, would, I, I would like to refer I'm, uh, by the way, I'm from Massachusetts, uh, originally from Israel. Um, I would like to uh, refer to what you recommended about DHA from algae, and I've heard that DHA from algae might be oxidized, then it, it might cause uh, more damage than, than benefit. And related to this, there is, um, you know, a new development that was, was in Israel having uh, omega-3 from sage, from clary sage. Yes, yes. Which make, which make an ALA, not DHA. I would like to know if you're familiar with this and what are your thoughts about this? Okay, that's a pretty sophisticated question, but the answer is I am familiar. I, and I do ways that when I have questions like this, not your question. My question is, what about the sage-derived, you know, DHAPA? It doesn't taste test as well as the Omega Zen, which is the one I've chosen that has EPA and DHA in it. So the the um, sage one from from Israel is good. It's a, a lot lower dose, but it also doesn't test as well as I've tested in a variety of people. And that's the best I can do with that. I don't know if the science can, you can make an uh, argument scientifically, but you can make an argument kinesiology-wise. Does that make sense? Oh, he, he's muted, but it made sense to me, doctor. Okay, good. <laughs> At least uh, it made sense to somebody. Go ahead. There you go. There you go. Our, our next question is coming from Stephen. Stephen, please state your name, where you're from, and state your question. Hi, Dr. Cousins. This is Steve Shore from Syosset, New York. Um, Dr. Cousins, I've been listening to you for many years, and what I'm saying is it doesn't matter how healthy it is, eating a raw food diet is hard to get full on. And I've heard you and Brian repeatedly say um, the same message to eat sprouts and eat greens. 
And I've sat down at lunch and dinner on many days with a giant bowl of sprouts, 16 different sprouts in a mix, lentil sprouts. I eat as much as I can. And even if I add avocado or, you know, the only way to get full would be literally to eat so much oil and so much avocado. And otherwise, I've tried this so many times, so intense, intensely. And in there's nothing that you that then in my experience that says it's realistic to get full on greens. And I don't even know a single person anywhere that does this. Even even Brian doesn't do this. So like I'm I'm saying the theory is fantastic, but unless you're saying I should stand out by the woods and pick wild edible weeds for 10 hours a day, I don't know how you get full on a raw food diet, which I think is what you're recommending. That's good. I, I want to also share in my last interview, just like two days ago with Brian, he and I just eat one meal a day. Okay. Why is that? Because our bodies have moved to ability to extract a great much more from the food. Okay. And the truth is I'm full of, with my, you know, cell, which is not that big, it's like a bowl that big. Um, so what's the secret here? I think that it's something that happens over time. You know, like Brian Clement, like myself, I've been doing this for a while. And you go from one, you know, two meals a day or three meals a day to two and then to one. So that's it. I just eat my, one, my one meal a day is from, you know, 12 to two, closer to two. And it's something that has gradually happened. Now, that doesn't exactly answer your question which is a very good question, right? Um, and your intent is also very, very good here. So what I find is, is that my diet tends to be lower carbohydrate and higher protein, higher fat, okay? So the fat does make a difference. Um, so avocado plays a role. Now, I know a lot of people in the live food movement, the kind of vegan life movement say, well, using extract oils but a little bit of olive oil um, in your salad and uh, uh, more nuts and seeds, not just leafy greens. I mentioned macadamia and pecan, for example, are much higher in fat and they are more filling. So that's a little bit how I do it. I also put sea vegetables in it because they take longer to digest. But the truth is I get full, you know? Now, was it that way 20 years ago? Not really. So what I'm saying is your ability to absorb increases. And I don't take enzymes, okay? So I don't even, you know, digestive enzymes. So what I'm saying is it's something that happens gradually. I would definitely use more nuts and seeds in it, particularly, as I mentioned, the macadamia and pecans that are, are particularly um, potent. And at least a half an avocado. And maybe you need to eat a whole avocado because you're a little bit more of a fast oxidizer. Thank you, doctor. So um, I, I want to... I mean, it's a real important question and that's kind of my the best I can do with that. Great. I want to ask a quick question here. So you talk about um, having a high level of cholesterol for brain health. Dr. Esselstyn and many other plant-based doctors talk about having low cholesterol for heart health. How do you thread the needle between the two? I know it's very simple. The overwhelming research 
since 1963, I think, when this came out about cholesterol, has been, and I mentioned, you know, thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people, is that cholesterol is not a problem. Now, if you're going to go to a cholesterol 300, well, that's going to be a problem. But if you're a woman, the research shows, a cholesterol of 270, which is really high, at least in a certain paradigm, they live 28% longer. How is that a problem? And the biggest research was in 2009, where, you know, top uh, American uh, journal is, is, is saying, hey, it, it's not related to fat. Heart disease is not directly related to fat or cholesterol per se. And I cite that in my thing. So they can say what they say. I'm just citing the research. And I'm citing hundreds of studies since the original scare happened with cholesterol. And I'm also going one step further. I'm saying this is harmful. We know memory goes down with a high carbohydrate diet, four times less memory. And also goes in people with a higher cholesterol have better memory and better brain function. That's what the research shows. I'm not so my answer is it isn't an argument. The, the the research overwhelmingly since we got the scare in the 60s about high cholesterol, it doesn't seem to hold. Thank you, doctor. So uh, that's why it's not, it's not really an argument. You know, it's overwhelming. When you look at all the research, that's why I had all those footnotes. There's <laughs> a lot of research out there. It does not support what they say anymore. Thank you. Well, initially, we all believed it. So I'm going to have uh, our, our next uh, um, audience member ask a question. Max, please state your name, where you're from, and ask your question. Oh, hi there. Max Tuck here. Um, Hippocrates Health Educator from Southern England. Um, hello to everybody. Uh, thank you, Dr. Cousins, very much. I'm particularly interested in your statements with regard to vitamin B12. I appreciate um, that I have a medical background. I appreciate that uh, the MMA methylmalonic acid is the uh, best way to test for vitamin B12 because the blood's not particularly accurate. Uh, you mentioned just at the end of your presentation that we need the human active form, but you didn't mention what that was. So um, I'm well aware about methylcobalamin, but I know that there are a couple of other types of cobalamin. Obviously, we're not talking about cyano because that's the one that's bound to the cyanide molecule, which obviously we would want to avoid. Um, but what about doxocobalamin? And I believe there's another one as well. And well, on the back of that, um, is there a supplement that one can take, which also contains intrinsic factor, which I believe is a, um, a big problem for a lot of people? Yes. So it's an excellent question, okay? And it's very hard to get the diagnosis of human act of B12. The best way to do it, to see if you have it, because I'm not worried about the forum, I'm worried about the, is the MMA test. Uh -huh. It will tell you if you have sufficient human active B12. Now, there are certain bacteria that will grow human active B12. And that, that's there, and it's in certain supplements. And um, there's one by Premier Research Max B. 
It's a liquid form, a lot of, it has alcohol, though a lot of people don't like that, but it also has the intermediary step that you're referring to. Because genetically, there's a bunch of people don't have a step to make the to make it, you know, which is what you just asked. So they add that step. And there's a, another one called vitamin B code. I saw that on Brian's place too, that has the intermediate steps and has the human act of B12 that's made by bacteria that make the human act of B12. I don't know exactly the name because I referred to it in a functional way because everybody gets it all mixed up. As you say, you, you cited a bunch of names, but when you say human active, that's very specific. And there you, you have to, and these are bacteria that grow in our, well, they used to grow in our, our large intestine. Now they grow in the small intestine. It's not very useful, but those bacteria are, they, they have to come from bacteria. They're, they're not synthetic. That's a clue of how to figure it out. Does that, does that mean regarding the, the human active B12 that the, that it has to come from within our own body, or are you also talking about supplementation in order to get the human? Well, active? I am saying that it used to come from our own body. And for some reason, something happened about 200 years ago and it moved up into the small intestine, which is no good for us. So I'm saying we need a supplementation. Okay. And that has to come from bacteria who normally used to grow in our large intestine. Is that making sense what I'm saying? So are you I think so. So are you talking about a probiotic instead of just getting B12? You're actually taking the probiotic that'll give you the bacteria in order to form the B12. Right. Or B12 that's isolated from the bacteria that are growing it in okay. culture. So I mentioned two forms, the premier research called Max B, it has that form. And the other one is vitamin B code. I know I saw that Brian also, I think, advertised that too. It actually has the human act of B12 from the bacteria. If it's not from the bacteria, I wouldn't trust it. If it's synthetic, I wouldn't trust it. Okay, great. Thank you so much, doctor. I'm going to ask another, I'm going to get another question from our audience member. Mona, please state your name, where you're from, and ask your question. Hello, I'm Mona from Savannah, Georgia. Thank you for a wonderful presentation today, by the way. Um, you talk a lot throughout this presentation about carbs. Now, I'm one who like has been switching over to more green carbs, fruit carbs, and such, and moving away from the um, quote-unquote starchy carbs. I still do legumes and beans for the most part. What is your ideal percentage per day that we need because even one meal for me could be very high so the the truth is i'm going to answer two ways i don't really recommend grains okay even the non-gluten grains because there's too high in carbs okay mm -hmm. so that's part of the answer generally speaking uh in my diabetes successful there's a cure for diabetes book I talk about 25 to 35% complex carbs from leafy greens and, and, and so forth. That's and, and but for people who do not have diabetes, type one or type two, 25 to 45% leafy green carb type things. I hope that answers your question. 
It, it does. I've already gone over my carb according to you today. <laughs> Thank you. But I don't have, I don't really eat grains. Okay. I mean, it's a rarity. Uh, Mine is just greens. I, I don't do a lot of grains. I do greens. Yeah, green is what we're talking about. Yeah. Complex carbohydrates for greens, that's good, but 25 to 45%. Okay. Thank you so much. Good question. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much. Our next question is coming from Carol. Carol, please state your name, where you're from, and ask your question. I'm Carol Darby, and I'm in Bradenton, Florida. Thank you for the presentation. Uh, another young lady asked mostly what I wanted to know. I've been using um, B12 injections, the Sino, I can't say it. Yeah. Uh, so is that a synthetic that you're saying don't use? Okay. Let's get, this is sophisticated. I'm going to make it sophisticated. If you're really deficient, Getting an injection one time or two times may be life-saving, okay? But in general, that's not the way to get your B12. The way to get your B12, human active B12, is, you know, getting it from the bacteria which make human active B12. And the two products I mentioned are what we do. Does that answer your question? But if you're really in trouble and you're really like, immobilized and can't think and can't, you know, I'm take a shot because that's an emergency situation. Long-term, it doesn't work out as well. Short-term, it may be life-saving. Thank you, doctor. I think we've got time for one more question. I'm going to open it up for David. David, please state your name, where you're from, and ask your question. Yes, my name is David. I'm from the Washington, D.C. area, and I have two quick questions. One is the cacao that you mentioned, Dr. Cousins, are you concerned about heavy metals? And my second quick question is, I know the Brain On E3 Live supplement has something called phenylethylamine. 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 And I wanted yeah. to get your opinion on if you think that helps the brain, as well it as the cacao with the heavy metals potential. Okay, they both help. I can't rule out the heavy metal issue, but I use different things to pull out the heavy metals on a regular basis, okay? Now, so cacao helps, it improves brain circulation significantly, okay? And I think that's important. And the PEA that's in the brain on also is very good for brain function. I have been using, even before the present, E3 Live. Since 1982, when it was first discovered at Klamath Lake, it's the only lake in the world where you can get this stuff. It really does work. I did research, and I know we're almost out of time, but this is research I did, published research, um, although it's kind of disappeared in some way, but basically I took three people with severe Alzheimer's. I mean, severe people unable to, to dress themselves. Okay. Uh, mentally confused, needing to be taken care of by their families. After six months on the E3 Live, like this one woman was able to dress herself, be able to exercise. This one man was able to really take care of himself in a much more major way. In other words, E3 Live is phenomenal for regrowing the brain. 
I'll just put it that way. There's a study in Nicaragua with, with kids who weren't doing so well in school and they gave them these life. And again, their performance improved, you know, up in, in the upper 10%. So it's one of the top things in general for improving brain function. That's the way I would put it. And my research was with really serious Alzheimer's, people got function, they, they returned to some level of function dressing yourself, being able to exercise and feed yourself. So I'm impressed with E3 Life. Great. Thank you so much, Dr. Cousins. That concludes our Q&A. Really appreciate all the information that you shared with us, as I'm sure our audience has as well. And to show their appreciation, we're going to open up the mics to hear the cacophony of appreciation from the audience. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Cousins. Thank you. 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 Thank you